630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. It's 7.06. Blue Jays still trailing Baltimore 3-0. That's in the bottom of the 6. We'll keep you updated on that game. Eric Greiba re-signing with the Oilers. Depth defenseman, two years, $900,000 per season. With J.C. Sherritt out for the season, the Edmonton Eskimos have brought linebacker uh, Alex Hoffman-Ellis back into the fold to get a little depth there. Obviously, the Eskimos' linebacking core already with a couple of big injuries, Greenwood and Sherritt, but that means other players, like our next guest, have been given the opportunity to shine. Adam Konar had a big game Saturday in BC. Adam, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to talk to you. You're coming off uh, personally, and uh, man, a bit of a nail-biter, but uh, I mean, this is your third year with the Eskimos, so uh, going back to 2015 when you guys won the great cup you're pretty used to close games eh yeah definitely i mean the team has been through a lot of close games i mean even last year we had a lot of close games and um i mean we especially in the cfl you expect to have a close game almost every single week so i mean you have to be ready for it and we have a good a good team all around that's uh prepared for that and uh good it's a good team to go to battle with for sure I mean, what were the emotional swings like on a, a Saturday? They got a big play, and then they, they missed the extra point, and then all of a sudden Zilstra comes up with that massive catch. I mean, what were you going through both on the field and on the sideline? Yeah, I mean, I mean, even in those exciting times, you just kind of try and be kind of even keel because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you don't want to go through uh, – too many ups and downs emotionally in in the game. I mean, when there's a big play, you kind of just want to either you even if it's a big play of your own teams, you just got to move on anyways and move to the next play, and they, vice versa. If the other team gets a big play, you just kind of have to move on and deal with it and get to the next play. And I mean, that's how we were playing, and it, it worked for us good uh, last week, and hopefully do the same this week coming up. Uh, you know, you, you had a you had a big game. Uh, you had a lot of tackles. You were around the ball a lot. Did you feel like really, you know, because I know athletes always prepare and play hard, but then there are some games where they just really seem to be in a groove. Did that one feel really good for you, or how would you sum up your personal performance? I mean, I, I felt good. I mean, there's always stuff that um, you can do better, and I mean, for myself personally, there's defi- there's still a couple – more plays that I could have made on the field. Um, but, I mean, it, it was a good start to the season for sure. And, I mean, it gives us, I mean, a lot of chance to improve. There's still a lot of stuff we can improve on and myself personally. So, I mean, just got to continually improve and get better uh, every week. Adam, I wonder if you can take me through maybe a little bit of the off season and then also in, into training camp because I know with the, the Will linebacker spot, uh, going to go to a, you know to a Canadian, and then Corey Greenwood came in, and he was a big signing, and he got hurt on day two of camp. So I mean, you you were probably in a situation where you knew you were going to play more, 
but I don't know if you knew all of a sudden Corey was going to be out and, and, and you'd be the guy. What, just what was that whole uh, process? Because, you know, certainly you didn't want to see him go down, right? But uh, no, how did that yeah. change things for you? Um, I mean, yeah, it changed it a bit. I mean, I, I was coming in with the mindset um, that I wanted to come in and compete for that starting spot even when uh, Corey was there. I mean, I still wanted to come in and compete, and I mean, it, it's unfortunate that he got hurt. Um, I mean, but that is football, and injuries do happen. So, I mean, everybody has to be ready for something like that to happen. And I mean, I prepared in the off season that like I was going to start. So, um, for myself, it didn't change much. I mean, just had to get into it a little bit quicker and. Um, get more first-team reps earlier on. But, I mean, it didn't change much uh, for my mindset and stuff like that. I mean, I wanted to come in, and I, I just had the mindset that I wanted to start anyways. I mean, it's kind of the mindset you want to go into a training camp every single year. So that was it was the same mindset. And then Corey happened to uh, go down, um, and that just opened up that spot, really. Adam Konar from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us tonight on 6.30. Chad, linebacker for the team. They're 1-0, getting set to host Montreal on Friday night. Tell me a little bit about uh, playing at the University of Calgary. I mean, that's been a good program. And, and uh, when did you sort of start to feel, I mean, was it, was it in university or maybe it was earlier that maybe you could realistically play in the CFL? Yeah, I mean, it was always kind of a goal for myself, especially having my dad play in the CFL for 10 years for the Lions. I mean, even through high school and everything, I always had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to play in the CFL. So I didn't, I mean, even going through high school and going through university, I mean, it was always in the back of my head, I mean, just knowing that my dad played and stuff. And I, I grew up watching the CFL, grew up watching the lines and stuff with my dad. So, I mean, that, that's where I wanted to play. And I always knew that. So, I mean, it, that was always the ultimate goal was to play in the CFL. Your dad, Kevin Konar, played for the BC Lions. Uh, he retired before you were born. But having said that, what's your football relationship been like with your dad? Do you... Uh, discuss details does he does he give you good tips has he kind of maybe backed off a little bit as you've gotten more experienced how does it work yeah i mean uh, he's been a huge huge part for me for sure to help, uh, he's helped me out through my whole life i mean i he used to coach me a little bit in uh in peewee and high school and stuff so i mean even if i didn't realize it then it definitely helped me um to get to where I am now. Um, and I mean, he definitely he's backed off a little bit, but he's always, he's always giving me tips and stuff for games. I mean, he always sees some things on the field that I can do a little better. He's always letting me know some extra stuff. I mean, he's a, he was a smart player when he played, so I'm always going to listen to what he has to say. And I know he was a great player. So any information I can get from him is always good information for me to use so it's been a been a huge benefit for me to have him there for sure all right and and I mean I mentioned the Greenwood injury and and then JC Sherrod who's been a you know has already had a great Eskimo career and I think it's a long way from done but he's going to miss the rest of the season so I I know as football players you deal with injuries all the time but JC has been a pretty special part of the team Uh, how do you work around this one 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. That's it's a, that is a huge loss. I mean, there's no um, no going around that. That's a huge loss for us, like for our whole team, really. I mean, he's a leader in our locker room and everything. He's a leader on the field, a leader on our defense. So it's a, it's a big loss, but. Um, I mean, I, I'm confident in the guys we have behind them that they can come in. I mean, Corey Jones, he's a good player too, so he'll be able to come in and step up. And, I mean, we just, as a whole group, will have to step up. I mean, the entire defense will have to step up, going from linebackers and D-line and DBs included. We'll all have to step up to try and fill that, that void that JC that is left open with J.C. out. Well, I know a lot of people enjoyed watching you play on Saturday, and uh, we're hoping for a big season from you and the Eskimos, Adam. Thanks so much for your time, and all the best on Friday night. Big home opener against the Alouettes. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. That is Adam Konar checking in tonight. Looked very good against the British Columbia Lions in the Oilers' season opening, or the pardon me, the Eskimos' season opening win on Saturday. Eskimos home to the Alouettes on Friday. It's on 6.30, Chet. Countdown to kickoff will be at 6. The game will start at 8, which means Cavis Reed is coming to town, the GM of the Alouettes. He's up next on Inside Sports. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. Still 3-0 Baltimore over the Jays. Bottom of the sixth. Toronto with runners on second and third with two out. Some hockey headlines today. College free agent Spencer Foo, who's from Edmonton, chooses the Calgary Flames as his new team. The Oilers re-signed defenseman Eric Griba. Two-year deal, $900,000 per season. All right, Montreal Alouettes coming to town. Cavis Reed, former Eskimo player and coach, is now the GM of the Owls. Pleased to welcome him back to the show. Cavis, how are you doing? Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you very much. Great to have you on the show. You guys are coming to town for the Eskimos home opener on Friday. You guys had yours last week. Uh, both games were tense. Uh, tell me the the GM experience of watching your team hang on for a one-point win. I mean, when the game starts, the GM's kind of helpless, right? You're just watching like everybody else. And I felt helpless. <laughs> it's, uh, it was uh, someone asked, uh, how was my heart? I said, uh, once I go to the washroom, I'll let you know. <laughs> it was, uh, it was uh, a very intense uh, situation and an intense game. And both teams uh, played a phenomenal game and it could have gone either way. And we're fortunate that we came out on the, on the better side of it. You know, Darian Durant, uh, a lot was made of that game uh, playing against his former team. He, he's already had such a great career in the CFL, and, and I think he's probably still a long way from finished. But, you know, what what did it mean and what has it meant to, to add him to your roster? I mean, he comes with such a good reputation. I, I don't think there's a single player in the league that wouldn't have a ton of respect for him. What does an ad like that mean to your team? Yeah, when we're trying to build a championship caliber team in the offseason, it started with stabilizing the position, and it goes beyond the talent of the individual. It's the character and leadership that is necessary in that position to have a stable team, a stable locker room, and a fighting chance in every game to win a football game. Darian checked off in all of those categories. A phenomenal person, phenomenal leader, proven winner, and he's a stable. Stabilizing for so we're very fortunate to have him be a part of our football team. 
Kavis, you know, the you, you join the Alouettes, you become the GM. Does this feel like your team yet? I mean, you kind of have, I'm not just talking about personnel, but I know there's, you know, attitudes and that whole culture thing I'm sure you want to have in place and, and standards and, and way the way people behave as a Montreal Alouette. Is all that where you want it? I mean, is this Cavis Reed's Montreal team yet, or is that still uh, still in process? Almost there. It's uh, anytime you go through a paradigm, it, it's it's going to be time before you get it uh, to the way that you feel it should be in order for the Montreal Alouettes to have a sustainably successful uh, franchise. And the the thing is, is we're trying to go back to the future. My predecessor Jim Pot did a phenomenal job in building a championship culture. Uh, obviously, uh, in, in sports, you cannot maintain that forever. Uh, the franchise went on a bit of a dip, and we're trying to get back on that upswing. And get to that stabilizing ground. Uh, there's been some turbulence. We gotta find the altitude that's gonna allow us to be stable and be competitive annually. Well, and, and you know, you mentioned sometimes there's some turbulence, and, and I mean, you had to make a tough decision, right, with with Bear Woods, and uh, you know, I know your head coach kind of said, "Well, man, maybe we could have done it a little differently," but you know, you're unified from from there on in. I mean, that's is that just an example of of a tough decision the GM has to make because he's a pretty good player, right? Yeah, and, you know, the, the, the business part of it and the f- building the football team part of it, uh, I tell everyone all the time, it's an art and a science. And when you're sitting in this position, you have to look at it holistically, the global perspective, not just where the franchise is today, but where you're going to move it and hope to move it forward to Tough decisions have to be made when you're trying to transition a, a football team. And when you make those tough decisions, you have to be confident that you're doing the right things all the time. And it, and it makes it easy. Uh, we looked at this situation every every angle we possibly could. We're confident that this was the right decision. And sometimes the difficult decisions are difficult for a reason. Uh, they didn't hire me to make these decisions. <laughs> they can get anyone to do that. We're hired to to make the tough choice so that this franchise can be healthy again. Kavis Reed joining us on Inside Sports tonight, GM of the Montreal Alouettes, of course, former player and coach with your uh, Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, I mean, I mean, Edmonton's a, a huge part of your life, obviously, and I know you know you, you lived here for a long time. Uh, is this is this a bit of a home game for you on Friday? For, like <laughs> you, nobody's cheering for your team this time, but how, how does it does it still feel? What does it feel like coming back to Edmonton in this role now? You know, it, it's obviously where I got my CFL start. It has prominence in my heart. It's it's, it's a franchise that is storied, and it has a, a major part of my CFL career. And uh, it's good to be back in Edmonton. Football is always lively in Edmonton. It's always valued and appreciated. It's always a passionate part of the community. And anytime you have that opportunity to be a part of it, you want to be a part of it. So, yes, this is a special moment for me. uh, And we'll definitely, definitely relish and enjoy being there. You know, you, you mentioned trying to put some things in place in Montreal. Is there a coach or general manager, maybe even a player that that you draw on from earlier in your career where you say, that guy, I like the way he did it? I mean, maybe there's not one person, but is there one or two influences that are really strong with you in terms of that tone you want to set with your club? 
and and really it's an amalgamation of a lot of people that have done it the right way and what i mean by right is having a cultural expectation is winning when i walked into the edmonton Eskimos locker room 1995 the expectation the aura everything about the franchise the locker room the players the, the future hall of famers that i had the privilege and honor of playing with it was about doing things the right way you were trying not to be the weak link because the players themselves made you accountable for not being the weak link. There was never an issue of coming in early. There was never an issue of staying a little bit later, doing a little bit more so that you are not the person that put a dent in the armor of the Edmonton Eskimos. And that's been indelible in my mind and my heart as to how, what a franchise should look like. And when you look at that model and you look at coaches and you look at GMs around the country and, and around the, the, the NFL and how they do things, that's what we want here in Montreal. A franchise where it's quiet around us, let the external noise be the external noise, but internally we have quiet and we have, we're dedicated to doing things the right way. Gavis, you know, the CFL lost a legend a couple weeks ago when Don Matthews passed away. Uh, he would have been your head coach, uh, I guess, your final season with the Eskimos uh, when, when you suffered your injury that ended your career. But he was around the league a lot. Uh, do you have any memories of Don or uh, just anything that stands out from, uh, uh, I don't know how much of a relationship you had with him, but certainly anybody in the CFL uh, would have known him to some extent. Yeah, I, I spoke to Don a, a lot during the last few years. Uh, called him at least once or twice a month and they certainly kept the connection uh when i first got into coaching and uh, don uh, was available he spent a week with me in a hotel room when i was with the Toronto and i helped me transition into coaching and uh, one of his things saying was don't be afraid as a coach to take a chance because if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space and that that has stuck with me for a very long time so uh, the man was an innovative uh, individual he was a lot of people would say he was capricious and cavalier but he was such a thinker and you would never think that he was such a deep thinker from the exterior uh, of Don Matthews, but he was a man that was deep in thought, and he was very dedicated to developing people. And once you got into his inner circle, he would take care of you as if you were one of his own. Well, well said. Well, Cavis, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, I know Edmonton fans always love to hear from you. I also know that Eskimos fans would be angry if I missed you all the best for the rest of the season because I can only wish you all the best in 15 of your 17 remaining games because two are against Edmonton. Fair enough? <laughs> I, I will definitely take that one, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always great to be in Edmonton. Uh, it's, it has a fondness in my heart. Right on, Cavis. Good to catch up with Cavis Reed, Montreal Alouette's general manager. They're here Friday, Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium, Eskimos home opener. Quick break for the news, and we're coming back inside sports. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Me to be your savior. Mark Letestu, will he be able to recreate a fine season in 1718? It's Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Always enjoy the discussion. Great to have Adam Konar and Cavis Reed on the show to help you uh, tee up the Eskimos Alouettes matchup on the weekend. 
Of course, the uh, Eskimos have signed Alex Hoffman Ellis to join the linebacking core. He was with the team last year, so they bring him back for a little bit of depth. Two devastating injuries, Greenwood and Sherritt, both out for the season. Spencer Fu, Union College, Edmonton kid, NCAA star, signs with Calgary. I'm sorry to disappoint you. And the uh, defense getting Eric Griba back for two more years. Two years, $1.8 million. So he'll be a little bit of depth. Uh, maybe, uh, look, I, I know there's a lot of chatter out there. Maybe the Oilers are, you know, you know, might be done. I still think it's possible to sign a depth defenseman for, you know, a million and a half or less to help stem the tide until, uh, until Andre Sekera comes back. And, uh, you know, they'll have some guys on the farm who possibly could, could step up as well. We'll see. I just, I just don't think it's doom and gloom for the team. Do I think they've uh, improved? Uh, I don't. But I also don't think they've, they've uh, gone off the ledge here and have been passed by everybody in the Western Conference. Maybe I'm living in la-la land. Maybe I should go back to working at Blockbuster. I don't know. Daryl's on the line. Hi, Daryl. Hey, how are you doing, Reed? I'm doing quite well. I'm actually I'm quite glad I'm not working at Blockbuster anymore. It could be quite a miserable job. Well, you probably wouldn't have a job seeing as how they closed down. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> huh. Hey, uh, I'm glad you're touching on their depth because I was just I don't want to say that I'm concerned. I'm just maybe more so a little curious as to how they consider depth on the right side just by saying they've got uh, you know Brian Strom who really hasn't been so productive, and then they've got a lot of guys including Flea Arby, and then now Yamamoto, probably not going to be on the team. They just don't have depth in terms of NHL experience on the right wing. And replacing Sekera until, what, February when he's supposed to come back, um, you know, Greib is a nice seventh D signing, but they still short on their top four to try to have somebody fill in. And I don't know if Benning in the second season is going to be able to step up and take that take that role. Uh, I don't know. Like, they keep saying that Oilers are deep. I'm just not sure how deep they are and, and what they're looking at specifically. Well, that, that's a fair. I mean, here's the thing. I was I was talking with people on Twitter earlier today. Which, and by the way, it's a bad idea to try to debate people on Twitter because it, it never totally. goes well. Um, I I I share most of the concerns that people are bringing up. I I don't necessarily see them as crippling. Like I don't see them as falling out of a playoff spot. Um, but I, I, maybe he still signs another D. Um, you know, maybe Joey Joey Laleja is going to be okay. I don't know. That's probably a bit of a what if. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Shirelli still adds somebody. I, I know there's stuff out there. Well, Shirelli is done. I don't know if he's done. I don't think he's going after one of the big fish free agents. I don't think Shattenkirk's going to be an oiler. But there are some options out there depth-wise. Uh, I, I, I is a big loss. I do have faith that Benning's gonna gonna develop a little bit. I really do, uh, because I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. And I actually, I know people don't want to hear this, but I actually think Chris Russell was an important mentor to Benning. So I think that relationship can hopefully continue to grow. Uh, right wing-wise, Strom is a question mark. There's no doubt about it. If he's going to be successful, then he's going to have to be able to do things that Jordan Eberle didn't do consistently enough, like play off the boards and, and, and forecheck and consistently get a shot away. Because I don't think his raw point total will be as high, unlikely to me anyway. 
So I think he's going to have to do all the little things that Everly wasn't consistently able to perform, all those little things that you, that drove fans crazy. And, Daryl, you and I both know what they were because we've talked about the mad nauseam on the show. Uh, Cassian Strom will be a right-winger center. Puglia-Yarvi's a question mark. I guess Dry Seidel and Kajula may be flopping in and out on the right wing as we move along. I think you can almost put Kajula on either wing. And uh, am I missing anybody? Do you, do you see what I mean, though? Like that, that for me is kind of a concern because you've got Puglia-Yarvi, who should probably still percolate down in the AHL if he can't make it within the first 20 games. You've got Cassian, who's not... Who's not going to play in the top six? No. You've got Strom, who's an unproven top, like top right wing, or even for the top six for that matter, and Kajula, who's only in his second year. Like that, that to me is a step. That's a lot of question marks going into the season. It's kind of the same formula for disaster that we've had for the previous few years, where we're expecting a lot out of guys when they really haven't been able to prove themselves in those positions. Well, right, before. but but I guess my counter to that be would be the only subtraction up front is Eberly, right? So if the team... But you're the talking fin- subtraction of 50 points, though. No, fair, fair enough. But if the team finished eighth with Eberly, do they really become a 28th place team with him off the roster? Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, and I don't, I don't think... And you're forgetting Slepyshev, by the way. You're, forget, you're forgetting Slepyshev, potentially. Right. I don't think that they're going to slide back. Like I certainly don't think that they're better, and I do agree with you. I think that Pitcherelli will make probably one or two more moves to try to tweak the roster because I think veteran depth is what's really going to help propel them forward. Now, I'm not talking about a 40-year-old Shane Doan, oh, but God, I think no. having a couple of guys come into the come into the dressing room that can provide that bit of depth. You know, one for defensemen, maybe one on the right side, or even a depth center that allows Drysidle to skip up to the wing if you need to. Yep. Um, just to make sure that you're positioning guys in the, in the best place for them to succeed. And, you know, if Pooley is not ready, then we're not rushing him. We're giving him time down in uh, in Bakersfield. The same with, uh, um, you know, sitting guys in the press box if they're not performing well instead of thrusting them into the lineup. Well, what if the right what if the right wingers in some sort of order are Strom, Kajula, Slepyshev, and Cassian, with Drysital popping over there as needed? It's it's not bad, but I don't see where's the like. I guess in my mind, there's no there's no veteran leadership. You don't that's depth in terms of numbers, but that's not depth in terms of position in like positional experience in the NHL. Right, because you're saying on those right wingers, Cassian's the only guy who's kind right. of rounding into who he's who who has become who he's going to be is that a fair way to put it exactly yeah right. like i don't know what they consider as depth instead of a number i'm just speaking about their experience in the nhl that's a uh, that's a totally fair way to look at it i i think the one thing where maybe i differ from a lot of fans and daryl if i'm wrong in six months you know i'll admit it I actually think Kajula is going to be a pretty solid pro and, and i think he's going to contribute this year and i'm relatively well, I think there's something there in Slepyshev. I don't know if it's a 20-goal score, but I think there can be a consistent guy in Slepyshev. Now, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but the good thing is is we're talking about the team going from a second-tier team to a first-tier team as opposed to a fourth-tier team to maybe finishing 20th, which is and nice. And you know what, Daryl? Maybe, maybe they overachieved a bit last year, and maybe this year will be a more realistic indication of where they are in the pro- I mean, you can make the argument they overachieved a little bit by maybe 8 to 12 points, right? Maybe. I mean, it's potential for that. I think you're not looking to regress, although it's, oh, it's, 
I mean, no team always finishes consistently in first place every year. Well, so we know that there's going to be some fluctuation with where they finish the season. And I, and I don't want to say. I don't want to say it's fine if the Oilers stumble or have a month where they go three and nine because I know that'll frustrate fans. Yeah. But you have to remember, and we're and we're talking nine months ahead now. You just got to make the tournament, right? And, well, and look what, and look what Nashville with it last year when they uh, when they came out of the gates just completely miserable with their standing, like they lost I don't know how many games out of. Was it last season that Anaheim's really struggled? At the beginning of the season, uh, no, I think it was the pre- the yeah the previous year. So I mean, it just it just goes without saying that things can always change. And I guess when you look at the depth with the organization right now, and let's say last year was a great year for for the team in terms of health, the year before that not so much. So that's always another question too, where I look at depth and say, okay, if Russell gets hurt and he's out for thirty games, are we in a position to put somebody there? not seamlessly, but to have a better transition than maybe calling up Osterley or Lelegia to have them fill in that role. Right, and losing Reinhardt is tough because, it, I mean, Reinhardt had to play a playoff game this last season. Now, Leon Dreisaitl completely took that game over and they won 7-1, but yeah. I think at least people were like, okay, maybe Reinhardt can play one game and kind of help get the puck out, which he did. You're right. Now, having said that, though, which team isn't susceptible to some like the Oilers already have an injury in their top four de- defense? Fine. I mean, what yeah. if what if Dougie Hamilton blocks a shot and breaks his foot? How does that change things for Calgary? Do they have a guy that can actually fill in at at that high a level? I mean, I think well, he, and I'm not worried about Calgary. I, I guess it just kind of reverts back to the beginning of the conversation about their depth and where they are positionally with that strength, right? Yeah. No, that's fair. But I, like I said, I, I, I actually enjoy this conversation because we're, we're talking about a lot finer details than Rob and I three years ago saying they needed 14 new players. I mean, <laughs> there are yeah. basically three or four positions on the team that people maybe have a question mark hanging over, yeah. which, which, yeah. which, you know, like, most teams probably have that to some degree. Yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling. I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to criticize because I – I, no, I don't take it that way at all. Oh, it's good. Oilers at all. I, I'm in love with the Oilers again and what they've been able to accomplish. It's been, you know, obviously the same as every other fan wishing and hoping for the last decade. Um, and they're finally in a place that, you know, everybody's happy for them to be at. Now we're just, like, for me personally, I'm just really curious to see how this game of chess is going to go with the players and, you know, who they. I still think they're going to bring in one or two more people to add to the depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And then the other thing I forgot to ask you earlier is, what about uh, the backup position? Is that going to be occupied by LB? I think it is. It looks like it is, yeah. I think they, I think, no, this is what they thought. I think they thought he worked hard last year. He uh, did okay his last, what, three games? Because he beat Colorado, he beat Vancouver, and he relieved Talbot in Colorado. And I think he also relieved him the night before in L.A., if I'm remembering the games correctly. Uh, but I still think Talbot's going to play a lot, man. I still think yeah. Talbot's going to play a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting one where they're expecting him to be that number one, but if he ever gets there, I guess it'll be the question mark. But uh, So I guess that means Dylan Wells becomes the, the number one in Bakersfield? Uh, who will they have down there? Wells and Ellis, right? And then Skinner will play for Lethbridge for another year or two, I guess, right? Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, right. Daryl. All right. Good call from Daryl. we got to take a quick timeout. We're going to uh, remember a uh, great Edmonton sports figure who we lost today. That's next on Inside Sports. Hi, 
Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 749, the Blue Jays trailing the Orioles 3-0 in the bottom of the eighth. College free agent Spencer Fu has signed with the Calgary Flames. Edmonton native had a great NCAA career at Union College. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And some sad news for the uh, Edmonton sports community and for the uh, rugby community today. Rick Suggett has passed away at the age of 58, an Edmonton native, uh, hugely involved in rugby in Edmonton and nationally for that matter. He'd coached both uh, the men's and women's national team. He's coached the men's uh, men's sevens team, uh, and unfortunately he passes away today at the age of 58. And to remember Rick, I want to welcome to the show Helen Wright. Helen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know uh, I know it's been a tough day for you and a lot of people uh, in in the world of rugby. Um, just give fans a sense of uh, of Rick's. Uh, I guess maybe first of all, just contributions to to the rugby community and, and why he was such a successful and beloved coach. Well, um, he came into rugby from football and basketball at an early age, and he had played for the Tigers, and uh, then sort of wandered into the ARU office and said that he was ready to ready to start coaching, and so he sure did. He is one of the only born and bred and raised and played as rugby in the Prairies coaches who ever actually succeeded outside of the borders. So he, you know, most sports have scouts and and Rick had just friends across the country, and he was pretty incredible. And just that huge rugby personality and passion, and he could make everybody laugh. And so he was probably one of the best ambassadors we ever had uh, in the sport of rugby, going out into the community and actually out into the international community as well. Sort of a died in the wood, in the wool rugby guy and a true Canadian. Well, that's a great way to put it and and I love how you talk about him, you know, trying to connect with people because because let's let's say, say face it Helen, um if it doesn't involve a stick and a puck in this country, sometimes it's hard for people to hard to get people to pay attention to it. So, uh, how was he able to to have that that energy and, and get people involved and interested in the sport? Well, so the first thing he did is he tried to take the information we already have as Canadians. We know how to play basketball. We know how to play hockey. And so what he would do is he would just say, you know, this lineup, just like a jump ball, this right. this uh, scrummage is just like a face-off, right? So then he would connect with knowledge we already had. And he was just so energetic and so funny. Um, the guy, you know, it took me so long to get him into pants and a shirt. He was so non-traditional, which just appeals to every Canadian out there, right? He would uh, be on the field in, you know, bare feet, shorts, and a T-shirt. And there was just no pretense, right? And he was so authentic. Like, his players absolutely loved him, and so did uh, so did anybody that came into contact with him. I remember one time sending him out to Spruce Grove, actually, and... Uh, I got a call back, and lots of times uh, I would get calls because he was pretty outgoing guy, and they weren't always good calls. But this one came from the teacher out there that said that he had uh, a real challenge in his class because he had a Down syndrome kid, and, uh, you know, he just scooped him up, put him on his shoulders, and she said, you know, I just want to tell you that uh, 
he's an extraordinary coach, but today the kids learned more uh, than just another game of rugby. They learned inclusion and they learned tolerance and flexibility. And so I was so proud of him that day. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story, uh, Helen. You know, you coached with uh, with Rick at, at the U of A. That's one of the many times you were you were colleagues. Yeah, he, we just had so much fun. Um, we coached uh, together, and and he would always sort of do it on the QT because at the time he was actually involved in the national programs. But yeah, he came out and uh, and we would coach together, and uh, I would have the vision, and he would have the details, and. And he, he would just be so funny on the field. Oh, my God, it was so much fun to coach with him. He was such a incredible guy. Well, it's, I mean, I can just tell how, how great he was and, and how much he's going to be missed. And uh, now I understand, well, there's a big game for Canada against the United States. Uh, is it in San Diego this weekend, that qualifier? And I think they're going to honor Rick at the game? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure they would. I mean, this guy, you know, coached the national women's sevens team in the States. So he's actually an authentic American, North American coach, right? And uh, he made so many friends in the States, and I'm sure that they will honor him. And when he coached the last time we went to a World Cup, uh, it was him coaching the Canadian team that beat the Americans to get into that thought like to get into that qualifier yeah okay well uh I, I, you know i know people and again just if people want to look up rick it's r-i-c-s-u-g-g-i-t-t uh, i've enjoyed reading about him today uh immediately uh made me regret that in my a short time hosting this show i never got the chance to talk to him but thanks for shedding some light on his life and his career and, and i know there are a lot of edmontonians and uh and people in the rugby community very saddened helen thank you so much for, for your time Thank you. That is Helen Wright on Inside Sports, remembering Canadian rugby coach and Edmontonian Rick Suggett passing away today at the age of 58. All right, this has been Inside Sports on 630. Chad, we've been keeping an eye on the Blue Jays game. They're in the top of the ninth, trailing Baltimore 3-zip. You can get more on the Eskimos on 630Ched.com. You can read a little bit about former Oilers head coach Todd Nelson, who, uh, when we talked to him yesterday, he said, I have not spoken to the Arizona Coyotes. Well, it's been put out there today that uh, the Arizona Coyotes have asked the Detroit Red Wings permission to talk to Todd about their head coaching vacancy, Nelson coaching the Grand Rapids Griffins. That's Detroit's AHL affiliate. So we'll see how that goes. The Eskimos game is on Friday, 6 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 8. Morley Scott and Dave Campbell. Thanks to our guests tonight, besides Helen Wright, you heard from Cavis Reed, Adam Konar, and Skylar Brindamore. Thanks to everybody who called in and texted tonight. Always enjoy the conversation. Thanks to the great work from Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer this evening. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. We'll be back tomorrow night, 6 to 8, right here on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilk. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Charles Adler tonight is coming up next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.